0: This is the Hack the Future podcast, the human stories behind courage, purpose, and imagination. Join your host, Terence Mowry, who will guide you on the journey of reimagining the world as we know it. Data is not the new oil. I believe attention is the new oil. Think about it. It's precious, precious limited and under daily attack from cultures of immediacy right through to filling the day with constant zoom meetings so how do you fight complexity not with complexity but with simplicity how do you reduce your bmi that's not body mass index that's bureaucratic mass index today i'm delighted to meet michele zanini who's the co-founder of the management lab a former mckinsey partner and the co-author of a great book, Humanocracy, creating organizations as amazing as the people inside them. Michali, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great, Terence, how are you? Very well, thank you. We're gonna dive straight in. It feels like there's a tsunami of leadership issues right now. Race to reskill, automation, hybrid, and combating BMI. Which, for our listeners' benefit, <laughs> not body mass index, but could you could you just dive straight in and define what that is and why it's so critical for leaders to be aware of the, their BMI?
1: Yeah, so BMI stands for bureaucratic mass index. It's obviously a, a play on on yes. uh, the the body mass index, but you know the the the, the connection is that organizations have. Uh, 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 a lot of of drag uh, yes. that limits their capability to innovate, to be resilient, and to get the most out of their people, uh, because of, of a model, a bureaucratic model of work mm. that is still centered on, uh, you know, creating fairly narrow roles, mm. uh, centralizing decision making around approvals, allocating resources, mm. uh, and uh, and and so the BMI and uh, we started it as a um, as a survey for the Harvard business review, mm. we got about 10,000 responses for it. And then wow. and we're getting even more now. If pe- if people are interested in taking it, it, it's a, it's a very short survey and they can go to humanocracy.com forward slash BMI. Excellent. Um, and it'll give you a sense of, you know, where you, where you mm. stand, like what is, how bureaucratic is your organization and hopefully give you some ideas on how to, to fix it, how to mm. address the problem. And, you know, we, we, uh, we're motivated by the fact that even though everybody, you know, obviously thinks bureaucracy is a bad thing yes. uh, and wants to defeat it, you know, creating a baseline and dimensionalizing the cost is a very important part of of, of getting started and and developing the sense of urgency to really to really roll it back uh, because mm-hmm. I, unlike other other things. You know, it's, it's just we don't really have the metrics to to, to gauge it as much as as we do I mean, uh, for other uh, other items. It's so close to my heart.
0: Uh, you know, I, I did some work with HSBC, HSBC many years ago, and I discovered internally, they it stands for how simple becomes complicated. And they're literally drowning in data, drowning in information, drowning in bureaucracy. And there's this really interesting paradox, um, which is this idea that growth creates complexity, but complexity kills growth, and I read that even in even Google, fifteen executives have been claim, sort of complaining about BMI high BMI scores, complexity, bureaucracy at Google. So this isn't just old
1: legacy, is it? No, and it's it's almost a. Um... Uh, you well, know, it's inevitable byproduct unless mm. one is really, you know, explicit about uh, making sure this doesn't happen. It's an inevitable byproduct of, of growth and scale. Yes. And 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 the fact that we uh, seek to manage, you know, the the, the complexity inside of organizations by uh, putting together a uh, apparatus of of rules of new positions. You know, for every issue that pops up on the executive agenda, mm. there's a new you know Cxo right? Appointed to it, who then drives, uh, tries to drive that um, in in his, his or own way. And, and, you know, so, you know, there, there mm-hmm. was now, there are probably more C-level executives reporting to the CEO than, than ever before. Yes, um, And, you know, that's just one way to deal with complexity. Another way to deal with it is to instead Um, distribute the responsibility for addressing that shared issue, Mm. whether it's digital or customers or safety or risk across the organization. Um, mm. uh, Because, you know, one needs to separate kind of the what from the how. Yes. Of course, you need safety. Of course, you need sustainability. Mm. Of course, you need risk management. Mm. Uh, but, you know, and we, we typically say, you know, think that there's only one way to deal with those things, which is, you know, appoint a person responsible for those things, yes. have that person drive it really hard, mm. you know, create the rules, create the processes and so on. Mm. That's one way. Mm. And it, we don't think that's very effective. The other way yes. is to... As I mentioned before, make everybody really responsible for for dealing with that issue, creating the mechanisms so that they can coordinate with each other horizontally, as opposed to control and coordination coming vertically yes. and giving them also the information and the incentives for for doing that, for doing that properly. It's like, you, yes. you know, order and and control can come in different ways. But most of our organizations and leaders Instinctively gravitate towards one way, which is kind of the bureaucratic way. Yes, and, and I mean this
0: comes out uh, from your great book *Humanocracy*, where you know, for example, frontline staff are taught to think like business people. Um, you know, teams are autonomous and accountable for the local P and L, and and so on. And your article, uh, HBR article on uh, sort of scaling everyday genius. The Michelin case study. Tell me a bit more about that. The insights, the takeaways.
1: Yeah, so um, I'll dive into Michelin. But one thing I wanted mm, to just yes. you prompted me is is around the fact that these organizations we study, and You mentioned them, you know, like a NuCor, um, mm. which is steel maker that has you know, or Hire, which is an appliance maker, Michelin as well. Yes. And Handelsbanken, which is you know, financial services institution, so operating in a highly regulated environment where obviously risk management is very important. Mm. Um, They have fairly, fairly simple organizations. That is, they are um, quite lean in terms of their management ranks. They have two or three levels of management. Yes, you heard that right. You know, organizations with 20,000 people, 80,000 people with two or three levels of management. It can be done and they don't blow up. In fact, they're more efficient. They have very few uh, people working in administrative and managerial functions uh, because you know the work of managing is distributed mm-hmm. right to everyone mm-hmm. yes. um, in the organization so you don't necessarily need that many people doing HR and finance and so on if those responsibilities are are kind of uh, undertaken by people in, in, in operating in the line yes uh, and then they're quite disaggregated that is they have these small units, mm-hmm. operating units, uh, hundreds of them, thousands mm-hmm. of them that have real uh, autonomy, mm-hmm. uh, real accountability. And also have the incentives and the information to make the right decisions. Mm. And then, you know, the way this doesn't evolve into an atomistic or atomized organization where you can't leverage the scale Mm. and the scope advantages of a large firm Mm. is that they create... The mechanisms for these small units to interact with one another, to mm-hmm. coordinate, to share best practices, right? Mm-hmm. To, to make sure that the whole is, is more than the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I you mean, know, a lot of people co- a lot of executives complain about complexity as mm-hmm. basically the inevitable byproduct, organizational complexity and bureaucracy as the inevitable byproduct of scale and mm-hmm. having diverse sets of businesses and operating in all these different environments and mm-hmm. geographies and customer segments and so on. These organizations show that you know no that you know you 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 can still deal with you know the, the complexity from the marketplace in a way that is quite simple in terms of the organizational design. So that's yes. that's just like a, and and then if you want we can dive into into Michelin and uh, but but I just wanted to make but, you know g- 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 you kind of talk a little bit about that because you 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 mentioned those attributes of these frontline teams and. And um, and it's, I just want it. it's <laughs> really
0: it's really it's really useful, really practical, and it segues really nicely into one of your recent tweets. and uh, Let me just share this with our listeners. Okay, we're twenty percent into the twenty first century, and yet the vast majority of our organisations are run with the twentieth century management operating system, and it's time for a big reboot. And you know, I. I That resonates with me. But tell me more about that mandate and and also I wanted to get your insights alongside that question. You know, leaders like Alberta Baller at Pfizer, Stepan Bansell at Moderna. They seem to me as leaders who who have really busted bureaucracy over the last 15 months,
1: you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, with a lot to unpack there. So let me start by by this, uh, by, by the the, the tweet, uh, yes. kind of, uh, kind of uh, expanding on that. So um, the, the basic premise uh, uh, of the book, Humanocracy, that Gary Hamelin and I wrote, is that uh, management, you know, should be intended as a social technology. It's what we use, the tools, the processes, the systems that we use to, To do together as human beings what we can't do alone Mm. and and it's we argue it's it's a very important social technology you know it basically sets the outer limits of what we can accomplish as a species Mm. and and it's in badly in bad need of of an upgrade or or an update it Mm. just hasn't really a management innovation really hasn't progressed very far um from the 1950s or 1960s mm. you know we still deal with the kinds of budgeting processes the leadership development processes the strategy processes that people 60 70 years ago so frozen used in time use We're frozen in mm. time I mean there was a uh, just a quick aside on the budgeting process Eric Schmidt the former you mentioned Google yes. former you know chairman of Google was um uh, ha- tasked to help um, reform the uh, budgeting process used by the Defense Department in the United States, yes. which is a nearly trillion dollar budget. Mm. And and he basically said, this has been stuck in the 1960s. We still operate it the way McNamara did in the Vietnam War. Mm. The world has changed. And basically, it's such a, it's a system designed for control and conformance. And it's just, uh, creates a valley of death, he said, yes. for technology and prototypes and AI. And so like we basically are becoming incredibly sclerotic, and this is a national mm-hmm. security advantage. So, yes. so, but, but, what, what do you observe for 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 the Department of Defense, and the budgeting process there? You, you could kind of say, and uh, for from any other organization. So, mm-hmm. so, basically, we we were stuck,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and we need to, we need to we need to evolve it. Um, uh, and 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 be really committed to that because that's in a way the way we create fundamentally advantage for a company. Yes. like you know, because the the management model, in a way, the sets of like structure systems and processes that decide how our decisions are made, you know, mm-hmm. gets ahead, which voices are heard, that is in our mind, the f- a fundamental a source of of long-term advantage for an institution. yes. Uh, but we don't focus in uh, as much as, we focus maybe on the business model mm-hmm. or the operating model, and and so we just you know we we think that that's an important thing to do. And the examples that I mentioned before, like a, like a hire, like a handelsbanken and so mm-hmm. on, provide you with a kind of glimpse mm-hmm. of of the of the value that you can create by operating with a radically different model. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, uh, good for the for organization, but also for the employees, mm-hmm. you know, who get to flourish as human beings. And then, if you aggregate that for you know at the level of a society, yes. it creates a more dynamic and productive society. So, so anyway, so that's that's kind yes. of our, our passion, and, and we just need to, and we you know we need to just uh, commit ourselves, hopefully, as as, as leaders, uh, mm-hmm. uh, to organizations that really you get the most out of, out of the people that, that work in them, and, and we think yes. that re- requires a retooling of, of the model. So that's that. On yes. on your other question on Pfizer and and so on, I, I think we've seen great examples of bureaucracy busting during covid yes. for sure and and that's because in a way um you know, uh, uh, a centralized hierarchy just does not deal well with with a crisis. There's just too many things changing all mm-hmm. at once, and it just overloads kind of the information processing capabilities, right, of, <laughs> yes. of people at the top. You just you have you have no choice other than to delegate. Mm-hmm. And and there the the um the, there's a wonderful interview on HBR, yes. uh, which perhaps you might want to point to in the show notes of of the CEO of Pfizer, where he basically said, yeah, all those things, you know, all those processes, all that bureaucratic BS, that just went off out of the window because we just had to scramble and, and so on and so it provides this very inspiring wonderful example of how you can accomplish like the, the yes. amount of energy that gets freed up right my question though and my worry is is the following mm. uh once the crisis uh, subsides what uh you know our yeah, are we going back to the old way of doing things? Are we going to, is bureaucracy well, going to reassert it's, what you, it's, yes, its control?
0: Well, because what do you think? Because I, I saw another great tweet from um, your you know, your colleague and co-founder at the Management Lab, Gary Amell, who was basically saying, look, you know, there's a lot of hype about hybrid and remote work, but we can also see that the, the pull of bureaucracy is extremely strong.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's... Um, B- b- bureaucracy is, in a way, is a system of organizational, um, you know, operation, but it's also a system of, con- of control and power, and and there are per- certain people that are, um, you know, have done well by that system, have mm-hmm. have the perks, and you know it's 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 hard to convince them that there is a better bottle i mean it's almost like uh uh, we have this thing in the book it's like telling lebron james the you know star forward for the la lakers Mm. uh basketball to say hey lebron you're great at basketball but we now we want you to play volleyball now you know (laughs) it's like he's probably gonna say well no like i'm good at this and i want to keep doing what i'm doing now uh i'm not saying uh this is impossible in fact I mean, we can maybe talk a little bit about how bu- leaders could kind of detox themselves from, yes. from these bureaucratic mindsets and habits, which are often, you know, they're not even that apparent. It's not like they're, uh, you know, this is a um, uh, explicit kind of uh, a move to retain control, but mm. but they're certainly affected by it. Yeah, so so the the issue of what happens next, mm. I, 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 you know, regarding hybrid and so on is very important. Mm. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the other things to me, you know, hybrid aside is, When we talk about the future of work, there's a lot of hype hype about that. Yes. Uh, To me, uh, everybody's a hybrid expert
0: all of a sudden. Right. Interesting. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No. And I don't. And and I think. I think you know, hybrid and uh, working from home can certainly have can can be liberating in some ways. They can help de de bureaucratize organizations. But on the other hand, you know, I'm going to hold judgment. You know, with all judgment on on whether this is going to be a net positive or negative, Mm. uh, until I see. You know some tangible uh, advances. So, for instance, you know, are are you know, are people do people really have uh, greater decision rights? Can they determine what priorities they have for their work? Who, who which colleagues they work with? Uh, are they are mm. they truly rewarded for their contribution? Do they have an influence on the way the organization sets direction and strategy? Do they uh, have an influence on uh, resource allocation? Yes. Is is the compensation differential between the CEO and the mid level employee is that, is that getting any is that shrinking in any way? Mm. Uh, you know because. You know, I've seen I saw someone say, hey, you know, uh, 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 work from home and hybrid democratizes work because the CEO's uh, Zoom uh, window is as big as other people's. Mm. Yeah. Okay. fine. But is is the compensation (laughs) proportional to the Zoom window? I don't think it is. Right. Or decision rights. No. So unless we change the structural um, to me, the structural Mm -hmm. markers. Um, you know, then you know it may it may you know it may not be that a big a deal. So we'll see. I'm hopeful, but yes. but I'm also watchful.
0: What what I love about your approach is the historical context you bring as well. So, for example, um, you know you've mentioned in search of autonomy by Tom Peters. You also spoke about a higher purpose, which was mentioned by David Packard six decades ago. Because I think yeah. one of my personal there's so much hype and hysteria about organizational change, transformation, leadership, and a lot of this stuff isn't necessarily new. And I like the way that you kind of remind, debunk some of the hysteria around that and and refocus on doing the basics brilliantly. And kind of in terms of the mindsets, what are the, what are some of the new mindsets that need to be scaled? And what are some of the mindsets that need to be killed off?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm I'm glad that you point out the uh, uh, and you appreciate the historical perspective. Yes. I, I think management thinking and leadership thinking is deeply a historical. Yes, and, and and in a way, it's like the biggest to me the biggest kind of uh, blind spot, and it's kind of an ironic blind spot when it comes to the future of <laughs> work that we yes. don't even like think about what what happened in the past.
0: Exactly, you know? and there's like, no kind of re- yeah, rearview you know, mirror.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, there's almost like, in some cases, as you say, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, you mm. can go, go, go all the way back to Aristotle, right. Who basically says that for human flourishing, you need self-direction, yes. you know, Dan Pig then like you built on that. Great. But mm. like, these are like timeless human truths. And, uh, and, uh, mm. and, you know, and we somehow like, you know, uh, I think, um, the great management journalist, um, Um, Oh, I'm blanking on his name. Tom Stewart. uh, I think Tom Stewart said, he said, like he wrote this in the 90s talk because there was another wave about the future of work and you know mm-hmm. a, a boundless optimism about organizations that are going to be flat and unbureaucratic and you know not that didn't really work out the way he intended but he yes. said are we you know discovering something new or are we like teenagers that you know you know for, for which like in every generation they, they they discover the kind of the appeal of of of, of sex right yeah. <laughs> and it's like and i think it's a little bit that yes. uh but so but so so which doesn't mean that we need to be cynical because mm-hmm. oh my goodness you know there's nothing new and this is a cycle Not and we'll exactly. never make progress i think we can make progress but 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 it, by setting the past and realizing what blocked progress in it's the past it's a big learning uh, it's- I think so yeah I think we can then we can make some progress and you know we can be maybe a little bit less less naive yeah, so in terms of the new mindsets,
0: mm. um, such an interesting they, inflection point in terms of these mind you know, sort of you know the new mindset advantage, what new mindsets for you know for the world of tomorrow, but also this kind of idea that unlearning or killing off old operating mindsets or orthodoxes or assumptions is is absolutely essential, this sort of perpetual state of beta.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and you know, uh, I mean, it's um, it's a big uh, to to me. I, you know, it's yeah. I mean, you you know, Gary and I at some point even uh, thinking about leadership mindsets in yes. particular because I know that's a topic that is dear to your uh, uh, Terence. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we even debated should we even use the term leadership at all? Yes. Uh, because what was the thinking behind been, that? It's well, because it's um, it's become um a little bit compromised by mm. uh, by this kind of managerial bureaucratic frame in, in the sense that when you ask people uh, who in your organization is part of the leadership team, mm. right, uh, they almost inevitably will tell you it's the EVPs, the yes. SVPs, right? It's and, like a military command and control
0: model of hundreds right. of
1: years old. Yeah, right. And if you think about leadership as, you know, helping the organization make amazing things happen, it's not at all clear to me mm. that those people, uh, you know, some of them certainly are, but not all of them are leaders in that sense. Yes. Uh, and nor are they necessarily a team, right? Because, <laughs> you know, in a in a bureau in, in that kind of a model, a bureaucratic model where it's kind of up or out when you get to those higher rungs of the ladder.
0: Yes. You know,
1: they whole like this. I mean, the, the whole notion that you set up succession races right with you know where like the CEO says well you know I have these four or five people that are going to succeed me or likely to succeed yeah. me and I'm going to pick pick the one and then you know you can imagine how collaborative are those people going to be right <laughs> with each right. other I mean yes. right there it's a zero-sum game that you're yes. setting up it's kind of insane yes. but anyway so 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 we were just thinking you know you know we you almost need one of to me like you know uh, a catalytic leader is mm-hmm. is someone who is kind of a scout that helps people see over the horizon mm-hmm. who is uh you know an artist that you know it helps imagine new opportunities that is a mentor that helps others become more capable yes who is a um you know defender you know, protects others from kind of bureaucratic nonsense or is a mediator that helps resolve conflict or mm. you know it's is the conscience of the organization you know strengthens the values and so on yes. those things to me have no correlation at all mm. with positional the status, positional authority. The, authority the hierarchical power Anybody can yeah. do that, yes. right? And so we were just thinking, you know, because, you know, it, and it just is one, one of my pet peeves, and you know, might have seen me on Twitter kind of yes. go off, and which is maybe a little bit pointless, but whatever, which is, you know, th- there's complete confusion, right, mm. uh, of, of the or conflation of mm. the term manager and leader. Yes. Right? The, the two more. things are, like, mm. synonymous. Mm. And uh, I don't, you know. And, so it seems and, like uh, some people
0: disparage management or it's kind of
1: underrated or uh, fundamentally it's not it's not it's not management is a so and again like um you know you could separate management as a a set of activities yes like as a a technology you know and management as a set of, of roles and you know Management as a set of activities needs to happen in an organization, right? You need to make decisions on certain things yes. and decide where the organization goes and and who gets who gets influence, who doesn't, and and how performance. I mean, you gotta manage, but but you know, do you need to have a cadre, of, a big cadre of managers mm-hmm. to do that? Maybe maybe not. Now, which doesn't mean that you don't have any managers at all. Even in the most extreme uh, cases, we outline in the book, like a hire or a nuker, you still have people mm-hmm. that are in managerial positions but even there you know how do those people get appointed yes. do they appoint it, do they get appointed from the top down uh or mm. did they basically get kind of nominated from the bottom up and and manage the managers are basically um the the uh the, the, the you know the the people that are really truly the leaders that mm. others want to follow and 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 then and people have uh, um, are able to express an opinion. Who who gets to be their leader, right? So yes. so basically, the leadership is a reciprocal kind of a followership, mm. right? And so, um, you know, I mean, the fact that you can certainly have managers who are leaders mm. for sure, and you can, you know, in these organizations you have fewer managers, and most of them are leaders because they are selected in a different way. But that doesn't mean that the only leaders in the organization are managers, mm. right? Because <laughs> <laughs> you can be a um, brilliant leader. Who are who's an individual contributor? Who's a frontline person? Who's done a, something amazing for the client? Yes, right. And and so so for me, those kinds of behaviors uh, and and mindsets I mentioned to you. Yes, uh, you know, need to be elevated, and they need to be diso- disassociated from um, mm. from this the bureaucratic frame that you know expects. These kinds of behaviors to be something that are is is exhibited only by certain people, by you know ten percent of the ten or fifteen percent of the of the organizational kind of uh, work you know a population that is in those managerial positions, because that that's just like a recipe it's, for it's, yeah. again you're mi- mi- minimizing or you know the the amount of contribution and value that the organization can 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 really bring out.
0: What about language? So there was a really interesting piece by Andrew Hill, who's a columnist at the FT and he, he in one of his tweets he he, he basically put no more burning platforms uh, the strategy yeah. cliché is inadequate inappropriate and as a way of motivating staff potentially counterproductive so what do you, what are your thoughts around sort of the language the the language of management and the, the kind of metaphors we use does that need a reboot as well
1: yeah yeah, well, certainly, as I said, you know we gotta th- maybe rethink the the word leadership and, yes. and 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 really define it in a different way., yes. leadership team. Um, you know, I, I I hate the word cascade because yes. uh, it does <laughs> it does imply this kind of hierarchical top down approach where Upstream, you know, water and truth, kind of like, yeah kind of works, you know, flows, wisdom flows from the top down. Yes. Uh, I I really, I really detest that. Yes. I I really don't like change management. I mean, if Mm. if you think about change management, it's a complete oxymoron.
0: Yes. Um,
1: You know, can you really, I mean, yeah, you can manage an ERP implementation in a very programmatic kind of, you know, calendar driven way, engineering Mm. kind of a way, but can you really manage? you know, organizational change that is deep and profound yes. and, and transformational? I don't think so, right? You, yes. you, it needs to evolve. I mean, and we can maybe talk about that if you want, but yes. but on the burning platform one, I think it's an interesting one mm. um, because of two things. Mm. First, yeah, uh, I mean, it's indicative of the fact that, you know, uh, uh, and a CEO, you, you use that. So, but, by the time mm. uh, the a CEO says, you know, we, we're standing on a burning platform, you know the organization is on the back foot, mm. right? The organization, and it's almost like too late, uh, and because you know, uh, and, and again, that's a little bit of the product of of this kind of b- a bureaucratic, stratified model of decision making. Mm. So, by the time a, a decision gets big enough and urgent enough to be tackled by the CEO. Mm. You know, it, m- months or years have passed since that decision should have been taken by the CEO. If that's how you want to make the decision, and and it's because you know no one wants to deliver the bad news, and and mm. this you know, and there are all these like layers that insulate the CEO from from the from reality in a way, yes. and, and so on, and so like I, you know, I picked up on on, on Andrew's uh, comment about burning platform in the context of Nokia because he yes. mentioned uh, uh, Stephen Elop, which is the CEO of Nokia in mm. 2011, who said you know Nokia he sent this memo to the organization saying we're sending on a burning platform but you know we still have a a chance to re- reverse course and, and so on. That was 2011. And if you think about like the iPhone, the iPhone came out in 2007 yes. and it was adamantly dismissed by leaders at Nokia for many years, or there were people that, you know, had their kind of version of the iPhone at Nokia that wanted to prototype that wanted to mm-hmm. do so that, that, that stuff got shut down yeah. in the intervening four years. And so if you actually look at the, um, uh, you know, evolution of uh, uh, the market share for uh, Nokia for, um, for smartphones, in, in globally, yes. so it used to be like uh, up until like 2009, used to be in the 40s, low 30s. By the time he, Stephen Elop made the this comment, it was down in the in the in low 20s. And so mm-hmm. basically, the you know they had lost so much ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time he he came up with this burning platform memo, that it's almost like it's too late. Like your strategy emergency happened three years ago. Not you know not not in 2011. You guys were too so. So yeah the birdie platform is 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 a, is a poor metaphor in many ways because it's you know uh, but but in a way it's you almost wish it weren't used not because it's just the wrong it connotes the wrong things but because it's it's a testament that uh, to to the inertia of the organization because yes. I mean I think 99% of the time you know the, when the ceo says it's the platform is burning the platform is smoldering <laughs> you okay. know it's not it's like it's not even burning anymore like <laughs> the flames are out it's just you got embers <laughs> it's too
0: late oh dear I love, I love i love the imagery i wanted to ask you, it was cuz of approaching our final 10 minutes and i just wanted to get your take your perspective on you know let's talk a little bit about leadership um, you know in china chinese companies so one that you've mentioned before which looks incredible is mutai global it's fifty three percent alcohol content. It's it's val- This company is valued at four hundred billion U S. More than Europe's <laughs> yeah. most valuable company, LVMH, uh, four x Diageo. Uh, just this week, um, the Chinese ride ride hailing giant um, Diddy IPO for sixty seven billion. And there's companies that people haven't even heard of. I came across one um Kaushu, which means little hands which which is ipo for about 160 billion is a competitor to ByteDance's tiktok and i want to get your take from you know perhaps consultancy work you've done there or you know, what are some of the lessons we can learn from what they're doing in terms of their approach to management and busting bureaucracy
1: yeah it's a good question i mean it is interesting um you know we have one of our main cases in the book is hire the the appliance yes. maker. Uh, they're the largest appliance maker in the world. And, you know, you cannot find a more market-driven, capitalistic <laughs> enterprise, at least I haven't come across. Mm. Um, and it's kind of ironic that it's uh, based in the, <laughs> the People's Republic of China. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, there's a, a wonderful uh, interview with a... Um, I think a private equity um uh, 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 uh executive Wei Jiang Shan I think yes. in uh, a few months ago in the Harvard Business Review where he says you know Americans don't know how cap how capitalistic China really is mm. and 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 how um you know in some ways it's it's not uh, uh you know because you know formerly it is still you know <laughs> governed <laughs> by by a uh, uh, a party that espouses Marx- marxism but yes. but on the other hand yeah the, you know the 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 belief in the power of markets um mm. uh, the dynamism economic dynamism mm. there is there the the openness to entrepreneur entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial energy mm. is, is palpable it seems to be like and a different uh, level of
0: just ambition scalability velocity the algorithmic um, just the speed at which they're able to to scale these companies i, I came across luckin luckin coffee which was
1: yeah. basically
0: opening a store coffee store every 4 hours and it reached right. over 2000 in less than 18 months
1: yeah, and then they, I think they might have run into some sort of yes, accounting yes. <laughs> issues afterwards. But, <laughs> but so not 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 all is uh, is like uh, great yes. stuff. I so su- but but yeah, I mean what what I've what I've found, and, and I don't know how generalizable mm-hmm. uh, this is, but you know the Jean Romain, the, the uh, CEO and chairman of of, of Hire, he um, is. Uh, incredibly bold mm. in in articulating a vision not only for marketplace success mm. but for organizational innovation within within hire he basically i mean he's a an unbelievable i mean he's very unique in, in this regard he mm. you know when you, when you talk to him he cites Concept, you know, categorical imperative about people not being, you know, and you know mm-hmm. it means but ends in themselves, and or you know all of their hearts, you know, this heart, you know, economist who, um, a Nobel Prize winning economist who, who uh, worked on uh, contracting and incomplete contracts uh, theory. Yes. I mean, he's just like incredibly. He's he's a real philosopher. Uh, but fair but fair uh, that said, hmm. he is committed to this vision of turning every person into an employee hmm. and because that is you know, fundamentally uh, uh, an important thing to do socially and, and, and for the firm. Hmm. And he has experimented relentlessly with how the company operates. Hmm. I mean, now it looks a bit like a almost like this. Uh, spaceship starts you know start strike enterprise you know it's like something that you like you can't even fathom if you're just operating in the era mm-hmm. of jet engines because if you're just like a, a regular company and you look at hire and how they've uh, uh disaggregated into thousands of micro enterprises and they have internal contracting and uh blockchain technology regulating smart contracts between firms i mean it oh. sounds it sounds like completely radical and out there and yes. it's you know it, in, in a way many ways it is but they started very humbly, yes. you know, 20 years ago saying, how do I uh, create these more autonomous teams? You know, how do I start experimenting with uh, lay- taking out management layers mm. and delegating uh, responsibility to serve the customers deep down in the organization? And they've evolved a step at a time. You know, it's almost mm. like, you know, people go to um, to the moon or, you know, go to uh, to the international space stations. They do amazing things, feats of science and, and um mm. Engineering, but even the Austrians that go up on to, uh, on the ISS, you know, they they start their day before they get they launch up into space by, mm-hmm. you know, uh, t- t- tying their tying their their sh- shoe, you know, shoes the way we do. Like so, yes. so you, you can start you can start simply and humbly, but but and and kind of it, it, it get get to a very sophisticated model over time. And so what's what's interesting about higher mm. and i think it's interesting probably about china more broadly yes is they do have broader ambition mm. they do see like you know we need to you know create organizations that are uh, are different they're more capable mm. um and in a way you know, there, there was a precedent uh, back to kind of the historical analogy point you were mm-hmm. making earlier. There is mm-hmm. a historical precedent of this in the 20th century because one of the reasons why American companies dominated so significantly mm-hmm. um, in the 21st century is that in 20th century is because they were the ones who created the management innovations that really then uh, took, took over. So GE was the first company that industrialized mm-hmm. uh, uh, R&D, right? Yes. Uh, uh, P- Procter & Gamble was the first company that really did brand management in a mm, proper way. Mm. Um, GM and other car makers were the first ones who created div- divisionalized structures that allowed mm. companies to be more decentralized and to cater to different product and, and customer segments. Or yes. you know, uh, DuPont was the first one that really pioneered capital budgeting. Mm. And so we're seeing now organizational innovation Happening more outside of the U.S. than in the U.S., mm. and you know, with some exceptions, notable exceptions. I mean, it's not like there's nothing happening here. Yes, but 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 I do I do worry about uh, you know us just being very complacent. It's it okay. seems to me that, crowded, that most pe- yeah. most people feel like. You know, we've almost reached the the end of of history when it comes to management. We've kind of figured things out. This is yes. as good as it, it's gonna get, and maybe we can do ten percent better, or maybe work from home. Is you know Which what strikes but, me as quite a hubristic not, kind of
0: yeah attitude.
1: Yeah, it's mm. it's a it's a mix of hubris and 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 like lack of imagination and yes. just complacency, and and not yeah and yeah and I I, I definitely see less of that. Uh, at least in my in my interactions with with higher now, I don't know how generalizable mm. this is, but but as you say, there are other companies who are trying to break the mold, not just in China, not ju- and not just in terms of their products, but the way they manage themselves. So mm. who knows? Maybe the future of management will be in Asia. I hope you know that definitely th- that b- we can draw inspiration from them, mm. but I also feel like there's so much we can do. Um, you know yes. in other in other continents in the us in europe and so on if we just commit ourselves to this goal if we if we um you know uh cure mm-hmm. ourselves of this you know gary calls it add ambition deficit disorder mm-hmm. nice. when it comes to management and leadership we just need to be a little bit bolder and yes. and think radical uh radically about this problem but now taking prudent evolutionary steps, but, yes. but having revolutionary goal, because you, you're never going to outrun your aspirations, or right? you're never going to go beyond those, right? Some, I mean, th- th- this, this is a really important point, and
0: there's a great case study that uh, came out in January Uh, by Steve Blank at Stanford. And basically, there was a lecture on the lessons for the new administration, technology, innovation, and modern war. And in fact, you sort of alluded to it earlier on with uh, some of the work for the Department of Defense. And there's a great book for our listeners' benefit by Chris Brose called The Kill Chain. Basically, in this lecture, which I think you're familiar with, I think again it came through via one of your tweets. This idea that the uh, Department of, of Defense trapped in legacy systems, it's eating up future budgets and resources, and you know, even and so at that government level as well. What, what, you know, what would be your sort of some final insights for you know any anybody in a public institution in a government? Um, listening to our discussion today, you know, what can they start doing to move the dial on uh, fighting complexity with simplicity?
1: Yeah, so, boy, it's a good question. I think um, what I probably would not do is try to go up the chain of command mm-hmm. and try to lobby your superiors or try to advance uh, your cause that way, but rather work laterally. Yes. Try to create a coalition of change that is horizontal that maybe spans even different agencies, different silos. Get people who are really focused and on this problem mm-hmm. uh, to agitate for change, build a case for change. I think there's actually plenty of fodder in terms of what the amount of waste and and potential. Uh, threat, you know, that the strategic threat to the U.S. Uh, yes. that that this inertia poses. Um, mm. So you may not have, need to do that much more uh, uh, baselining around the cost, but then mm. start to work laterally, you know, uh, and 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 start to get. A coalition, uh, who you know, maybe you know, each each person may not have a lot of unit of power, but if mm. you coalesce them, if you aggregate them, you know, you 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 could create a a, a, a movement for change that that is really hard to, hard to stop. And yeah, and you know, there are things that people. I mean, some of these problems are systemic, and so you need to deal with them systemically. You can't just do you know something in your little department that is that uh, that may, may work, but you you should certainly start there mm. and set the example and. Um, yeah, and work together with other people to create a solution that, mm. you know, is, is broadly embraced that, again, doesn't have to cascade down from the experts, but it's built a little bit more kind of horizontally, peer to peer. And you expand um, you know, on this, I mean,
0: you expand on this for our listeners benefit, you you, you know, you talk about in, in the in the humanocracy, you talk about the principles of ownership, the principles of community and openness and experimentation, some really great practical uh, takeaways there
1: yeah yeah well uh, yeah there's a there's a whole uh, there's a there's a whole uh, chapter on that I mean yes. we think that the, you know you basically need to um, think about prototyping and experimentation around your management practices the way you do about your products and services that there's no reason why you shouldn't and so mm-hmm. instead of like trying to figure something out at, you know at an aggregate level and then roll it out or pilot the 95 percent solution the way you know, to me, organizations typically do when it comes to new management practices, you know, new a new performance review process, or or, or whatever. Yes. Uh, start start with a prototype. You know, take mm. the lean startup approach that Eric Ries so thoughtfully describes, and mm. apply it to the way you you know you allocate resources, the way you re- review performance, the way uh, roles are mm. built, and so on. And and then you know scale what works, and and take this kind of a pro- portfolio approach to management innovation. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. these things aren't just given to us by God or Moses mm-hmm. or I mean they're just you know things we have inherited. but you know the fact that you know they are the way they are doesn't mean that they need to remain the way they are and 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 we can we have agency we we can, we can change it even though we're not the CEO.
0: Michele, from one Italian to another, I think we've given our audience the equivalent of a double espresso today to, <laughs> to activate their curiosity around these uh, these issues and challenges. And are, are there any final calls to action and follow-up resources um, that our listeners can go to to continue the conversation? Yeah.
1: Well, maybe one thing that I would plug yes. is a uh, 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 course that Gary and I uh, prepared called hack my org yes uh, which you can find at humanocracy.com slash course which is built around the book i mean it's basically an online course that is a condensation we have in the book but it's filled with videos and tools and other things and it was really built mm-hmm. to, to give people who are who want to you know keen to light the fires of manager innovation yes. a way to do that in their organization right because you're not helpless you can get, you can make change happen, mm. uh, you know, and, and, and the, really the, the course is a resource for people to, uh, to you know, get, uh, Love that. get some guidance from us, some advice and, and some tools on, on how to do that. So I, okay. that's the thing I would encourage people to do, yes. you know, irrespective of whether you use the, our course or not, but just like start from where you are. Mm. Uh, you're not helpless and, and, you know, and create a bit of a, a, bit of a, 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 a coalition, mm. a movement for change within your organization. Fantastic.
0: Michele Zanini, co-founder of The Management Lab, author of The Humanocracy.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Terrence. It was a pleasure and I'm really, you know, an honor to, to be in conversation with you today.
0: Every leader today must overcome the growth paradox. The essential truth is growth creates complexity, but complexity kills growth. Michele's practical insights on the power of community, the power of ownership and the power of experimentation reaffirmed for me that it's possible to bust bureaucracy and ignite talent, growth and belonging. And that's really what leadership is about. That's the essence of being a great leader. Whatever your role or title, Michele showed it is possible to launch an unstoppable movement to equip, energize and empower everybody in your organization to be their best and to do their best. The ultimate prize, an organization that's fit for the future and fit for human beings.